Hello, everybody, Retroids, young and old, of all shapes and sizes out there. Welcome to an episode of The Crow's Nest. Uh, this is our little side section of the podcast where we kind of talk about some other things and maybe do a little bit of a deeper dive on some topics that we may have covered in a mainline episode. And this episode is no exception. Uh, we are going to be diving back into the realm of Jim Henson uh, in our episode 51, our season three premiere uh jim henson master of muppets we talked about all kinds of different things involving uh jimbo and in his whole career and one of the biggest things that we didn't get to was the storyteller uh jim henson's the storyteller was a show of his that happened uh you know very late in his career and is often overlooked um you know it really didn't get uh, a long run but what it had was fantastic and so i have a couple of my octopals here with me uh to talk about it we have we have parasite steve and nintendo in the hizzy oh hi. Very, very true oh hi very, and, very, very and, uh, true. uh parasite steve here uh i happen to be uh sipping some deadly grounds coffee as it happens uh little little house blend tonight mm. and it's it's quite Gotta keep it in the so, house so whose house did you blend um it's uh it didn't say it was unspecified it was just a house okay a house i mean it it was a it was the whole bean so i don't know whoever lives in beans oh oh bean town okay so i mean yeah you you do make a whole town out of beans if you're if you're around boston a whole town that's Hmm. not even a town the the boston the boston (laughs) area well i mean what are you going to call the movie about boston you're going to call it the city no you're going to call it the fucking town guy you called the bean yeah. town. Yeah, I guess you got called the bean town guy. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, delicious. So very awesome. We love Deadly Grounds. Thanks for sponsoring our podcast as always. Nope. Um, and so yeah, so we are we uh, we're going to talk about the storyteller. Uh, this was actually one that Parasite Steve wanted to get into in the main episode, but we kind of felt like there was enough here that we could do a little side dealy with it. Um, so I'm going to pass the torch over to Steve. He can tell you a little bit about it. And then we're going to talk about some episodes that were highlights for us and, you know, just see where the night takes us. Sounds like a plan. Um, so yes, if you are not familiar with what the hell we're talking about tonight, Jim Henson's the storyteller, the one, the one was, uh, actually created for the BBC in 1987. Uh, it aired for two seasons. Though the two seasons are very different, and we're going to be concentrating on the initial season, which had nine episodes and um, adapted all of its stories from uh, basically old Grimm, Brothers Grimm style fairy tales. Uh, Most of them just uh, credit early Russian or early German fairy tales. Um, And the second season actually was all about Greek myths. And it had a different host and stuff. It was uh, hosted by Michael Gambon. But the first was actually hosted by the immortal John Hurt, who, um, for those of you who are Harry Potter fans, you may remember Mr. Ollivander. Uh, He's also in a million other things. Mm-hmm. Um, I, this is a guy who I always loved. Um, and really, it was it was because of this. Like, I went back and saw the original Alien and was excited that the guy from the storyteller was the dude who played Kane, who the who was you know obviously the character who you know the alien bursts out of his chest. It's He's the chest. Bursted. His Kane's is the chest. 
of the bursting. John was hurting in that scene. <laughs> he was. And and of course, actually, even before even before I had seen that, I did see Spaceballs, which he plays the same character. The also movie. is in that. <laughs> <laughs> Hence the, oh, no, not again. Not again. <laughs> yeah, uh, I love this guy. I always loved this guy. Whenever he was in anything, I was I was always extremely happy. He's just one of those actors that um, he, you know, he's like one of those old school British actors, like Brit- like uh, like like Christopher Lee or, you know, I love, mm-hmm. I love my, my hammer guys, my uh, Pete Cushing and, and various people like Michael Gambon uh, is a great actor too, but there's something about um, John Hurt. I John don't know. Hurt. He, he is just, just magic. He is just so charming at all times. And, and they got yeah, him the- in this, like, like almost, he almost looks like a good luck troll. Yeah, yeah. makeup. <laughs> right. Like, he really, he's not this... supposed to be a different race to our knowledge. Right. Like, I think he's just human, but he does. Human. He just looks like a troll. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He has this very big prosthetic nose, and it's funny because in the very first episode, uh, you can tell they they hadn't quite perfected the makeup, and they right. had um they had some um prosthetic. They had a prosthetic around his mouth, and it very much changed the way he looked and changed the way like when he was talking. You could really tell like his mouth was kind of too stiff. And they sort of just ditched that appliance for later on and and uh, and kind of streamlined it. But he, he looks great. So basically, the deal is this is a show that, uh, you know, it it's like fairy tale theater kind of was with uh, Shelley Duvall, where they're just dramatizing old, old fairy tales. But where fairy tale theater was stuff that you pretty much knew. These are these are more obscure, these ones. Mm-hmm. And they also tend to be on the dark side for sure this was during the period where jim henson was really hoping to you know continue pushing his company and his brand away from purely kid driven entertainment you know this was only a few years after movies like um, dark crystal and labyrinth and so this was very much continuing in that vein and you know had jim you know lived on through the 90s i'm sure he would have seen a lot more uh content like this but uh, this is i i think one of the best examples of what the henson shop was able to produce as far as you know dark serious content yes at you know, had comedy, but was definitely not just for kids. Right. Because, you know, right. you know right. a lot of those old fairy tales are really grim. They really mm-hmm. are. Like, they mm-hmm. didn't end well. <laughs> yep. There's a lot more, uh, you know, Empire Strikes Back endings than Return of the Jedi endings. And um, it, it they really they really played all that stuff up. And uh, but at all times, it does feel like fairy tales. You know, I, I, I think dark fantasy is a, a term that people are familiar with and definitely apply to a lot of things. Um, to me, this is more of, it's like dark fairy tales. It's different. Yeah, yeah. Fantasy is applicable. You could say it, but there is something different about the way fairy tales are written and the way that you're supposed to take them. You know, you're not really worried about taking it literally. You're not really, um, you know, if, if something is silly and it doesn't make sense or it's fanciful, uh, it, it's okay that it doesn't make sense. Right, you're you just never kinda, supposed to dissect it. You yeah. suspend your disbelief. You're yeah. like, it's okay. It's just a fable. It's a fairy right. tale. Like, right. You know, and you're not we, worrying about the the continuity. <laughs> right. And we right, talked right. about this. Eight uh, bit and I got to talk about this a little bit with uh, Terrell Whitlatch, who was just on the show. Um, and she was talking about like how you make fantasy creatures feel real, you know, mm-hmm. and of course she's a concept designer. So she's like all worried about that. And we, we did talk about how there is a difference with, with fairy tales 
and fantasy fairy tales you sort of just don't worry about that kind of stuff so this is all like all presented that way all the all of the the narration the prose is in my opinion just beautiful and perfect at all times it's poetry a lot of times like the way that he talks about certain things and we're gonna you know do some deep dives into our three episodes like 8-bit said and i'll get into a, to that a little bit more but i love the writing on this series i i am yes. in love with it yeah. I, it's I, it's so eloquent I you know every it. single line of dialogue is written like you know a poem or like a story right. you know it's not just him verbatim saying it you know it's it's a song that that begins like hello and ends like goodbye exactly. and it's like it's got all this very beautiful writing and also like a reinforcement of themes where you know you would you would sometimes have those interesting little turns of phrases that would then come up multiple times throughout it to just kind of drive that point home. It's not just like a one-off colorful line. It's like, no, it was intentional. We're going to keep referring yeah. to it. Yeah. And yeah, it, it builds such a compelling narrative because you're just, it's like listening to poetry and just seeing right. the whole thing. Right. It's, yeah. it's truly sublime. It's, yeah. it's yeah. really very good. I, I also love the fact that the host and the dog, like, sometimes appear in the episodes sure yes yeah. like, like, at, like 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 he was part of the story and i and i love the fourth wall breaking with the dog right yeah. he's just like calling like out the story just, so, yeah he's like sometimes he just shows up like in the same scene as you know, that story is taking place <laughs> and it's like oh i don't like it at all and people are like yeah. you know st stay yeah. out of this or whatever yeah it's the framing device i guess i kind of got ahead of myself but yeah so basically you have this this character the storyteller who, um, well, we assume that's what, he, what we should call him. He's never named at all. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and it's played by John Hurt. And uh, he does have a, have a dog who speaks. It's a very realistic looking puppet. This is not, this is not Rolf the dog. Okay. Right. This is a different looking dog. This is like, you know, a pretty realistic looking puppet. And a lot of the puppets in these, um, these stories are, are, are made to look uh, correct with, human actors because that's what it is i don't think i've mentioned yeah. that either is that it's mostly human actors and then we will see muppets when there is a need for a creature or something like that all the yeah. special yep. effects are all from jim henson's muppet shop right so and they which are all amazing amazing i show. mean just it's, like you it's know crazy in the in the main episode uh the main jim henson episode you know we talked about the how he was able to push the the technology of puppets and i really do think the technology is the right word to use because he was able to really advance the art form and and figure out ways to do things that you know well you know what do you start what's a puppet a, pu a puppet can be anything a puppet can right, where be, do we where do we draw uh, the you line? can put google eyes on a stick and it's a puppet right like yeah. anything can be a puppet so it's really just an idea of a thing like what can you use as your avatar as a little analog guy and it could literally be anything so Knowing that, it's like, well, how do you make it your own? How do you push the art form? We have things like ventriloquist dummies. We have things like sock puppets. We have things like Beanie and Cecil. We have existing things or marionettes, you know, like uh, Howdy Doody was a marionette. Like lots of stuff already exists. And somehow Jim Henson was able to just push that art form into such new characters, new, new territories where he would make full body costumes. He would make things, I mean... There's a there, you know, I, I, I know we didn't pick this episode. None of us picked this episode, but there's a, an episode called the luck child. And at the end of it, you have what I called in our main mainline episode, the, uh, the evil big bird, which is the Griffin. And he mm. is so big. He's so incredibly huge. 
mm-hmm. this puppet. I mean, it, it, it's it, it had to be like, I don't know, like 20 feet tall or something. I mean, that just just the jaws of the beak of the thing must have been like five feet long. I mean, like right, right, it was yeah, so, yeah. so huge and it emotes it. It feels real. It moves real. It, it feels like, yes, this is a living, breathing monster in this um, in the story. And it just is a way to tell the story. But anyway, so this um, just just a little bit, just a little bit extra. I'll say that, um, yeah, it definitely, as you said, 8-Bit, it's definitely continuing that idea of dark fantasy, but also dark fairy tales that was started with the Dark Crystal, and then we saw more in Labyrinth. Obviously, this is more similar to Labyrinth because there are human actors as well. Yep. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it was just a way to adapt some stories. They're all 24 minutes long, like, to the dot, and they are all available on Prime right now. So if you guys are um, subscribers, go check the show out. We hope you are interested. If you haven't heard of this show or have never seen it or whatever, um, and you enjoy our episode, please go watch the show because um, it really. I, mean, I is, liked it for crying out loud. Right, even I even know. Right, Nintendo, Nintendo, I fan. liked it. And and Nintendo was the holdout who wasn't has never been a big fan of Jim Henson's stuff. Not that you didn't respect it, obviously, as you said. Right, but right. It's just like, it just wasn't my Yeah, thing. it's just not. It's, yeah, and that's fine. Like, you know, yep. people, different strokes, different folks. It's fine. But mm-hmm. like, that's cool. Like, so, you know, hopefully everybody enjoys it. So um, 8-Bit, if you want to you want to keep going and uh, I don't know if you want to present first or how you want to do it, but. Yeah. So, I mean, I was thinking of um, handing it handing it over to uh, Nintendo and letting him talk about uh, the episode that he was really into. Um, I think I'll probably end the episode um with with my pick but yes so i think um i think that's um parasite you did an awesome job summing up the show and i think it's very cool that you know we were able to kind of all come at this from like you know parasite having watched it when it was out and and really loving it me watching it having seen it when i was younger but not remembering it really clearly and then nintendo having seen it for the first time and right. you know, all still coming away from it, being like, "Yup, two thumbs up!" Like this is great. Yeah, yep, exactly. um, which is which is super awesome. So yeah, Nintendo, let's hear uh, what you have to say about uh, about an episode you really liked. Okay, well, I liked most of them. There were a couple that I didn't care for, but mm-hmm. the one that I liked a lot was called "The True Bride," and I I really enjoyed this story a lot. Um, it was about a troll who. Has, who has a daughter, but she ran off. She like left or whatever. So this this male troll uh, kidnapped a, a, a girl and kind of like have her. He had her do like the, these impossible tasks and um, like okay, uh, uh, do this stuff with the the feathers, like clean, clean the feathers. I'm, I'm highly allergic to feathers or whatever. And uh, or drain this drain this pond with a drain spoon. Drain this pond or with a spoon. It's like, yeah, like impossible, impossible and, stuff. And oh, build build me a castle by nightfall. Uh, by, by by nightfall, yeah. And it's like, it's like what the fuck? And and every time he would ask her to do something, a white lion would appear, which is called a thought lion. And uh, and he would do all this stuff for her. And every time that the troll would come back to this task being completed he would get fucking pissed like what the hell how is this possible and this happened three times right like he wanted her to fail he, yes so then he for could, whatever like, for, you know, for whatever reason or... like it's like it's like i don't i don't remember if they explained 
why he wanted her to fail. I feel like he wanted to punish her and beat her and stuff. That that was my that was my take. Yeah. Yeah, like the troll was just such like a, a horrible individual that, you know, he's like, I gave you this impossible task because I know you're you'll fail. Right. Yeah. And then even when she succeeds, he still he's you know punishes her anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. By giving her another impossible task. Right, right. Um yeah, and I, I just the 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 thought line is holy shit. Like yeah. so cool. so amazing. Pretty much full sized. I mean yeah. a little bit smaller than a real lion, but like close. Yeah. He was wicked cool. Um so they they go into this castle that was built by Nightfall and um the the troll kind of like dies like like he falls into a uh a pit or something in the in the castle or or fell, fell down the stairs or something i don't remember yeah oh, there was like there a was like door a, that he's yeah. lured to and he yeah. goes and looks in it and it's just this bottomless pit of death yeah so so he's gone he's out of the picture and then and then she takes why, why do we even put this here why did we even <laughs> just to catch the troll <laughs> a black void <laughs> right right so so she takes over the castle becomes like the, the princess or whatever and uh and she she kind she falls in love with um, one of the servants. Yeah, the gardener. The, the yep. gardener, and you no, know, they, they they get married, and then he he leaves. He he goes off somewhere, and then he just doesn't come back. So she is searching the world for for her husband, her her beloved, and um, and it turns out that he was bewitched by that troll's evil daughter, the one who had left him. Yep. So so she put him under a spell. And uh so the the thought lion gave gave uh the princess uh three three gifts. I think they were called gifts. Yeah. Um so each one did something differently. Like, uh the first one was like silk. Like this endless amount of silk coming out of this this little thing, this little nut that she had a crack in the ground. And uh, of course, no. The, the troll was all like, "Ooh, silk! Ooh, oh, I want it! I want it! I want it!" And so she tried to do a, a trade-off because no, she won't wouldn't sell the the fabric. And uh, so she cuts a deal with the the troll, and so she can go see her her beloved. And and he is asleep the entire time; like he does not wake up because she because the troll put him under a spell where he just he just will not wake up at all during at, at night. And by the daytime, he kind of like forgets that he was even married. Like he's just so like betrothed with the troll. Also, he was played by Sean Bean. That has to be mentioned, right? Yes. Which is oh, so yes. Crazy. Yes. Yes. Yep. That's right. Yep. Um. So that plan didn't work. And then the second time was, I think it was. Jewel. I want to say gold. What was it? I think it was, it was gold. Gold. It was yeah. infinite gold coins. Okay. Yeah. It was the second one. Yeah. yeah. So so she gave her all the gold coins. And the same thing happened. She would visit her, her, her beloved, and he just would not wake up. And then the third time, I forget what it was. It was Jules. The third was one it was Jules. Jules. Third okay. one was Jules. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was just like right. a pile of gems and stuff. So, so she gave her all, all the gems, and then you know she sees her, her beloved, and the same thing almost happened. She kind of like I want to say kissed him on the cheek or something because they they had this deal where where um, he couldn't kiss any other woman unless it was on the cheek. And, uh, and he kind of like broke the spell or she broke the spell and he went back 
to his normal self and all the, he the, like the, he like vaguely remembered that he wasn't supposed to kiss another woman. Yes, and she yeah. was like, "Yeah, silly, it's me. I'm the one woman <laughs> the you're one supposed to kiss." And yes. he's like, "Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right, that's right, yeah, yeah, that's right." And so and then she's that, like, "Who the fuck is Tracy?" Right? <laughs> <laughs> you were half a beat late. <laughs> um, and so the, the spell's broken, and in all the, the 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 silk, the gold, and the gems that the troll had just like vanished just disappeared right. it's like man in. i got a raw deal yeah so <laughs> she, she was a she was a she was a bitch though i mean yeah. she, you know so totally so the uh the, the, the gardener and the the princess went back to the castle and then and that was pretty much it, it was like a, a happy ending happy ending yes right and the and the thought lion said well you know should uh should you ever need me or whatever he said he's always there to help children in need is not explained at all uh, it's just kind of you feel like he's a guardian spirit or something. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. Then and he's all like, yeah, should you need us? <laughs> and we're like, shut up, hoggle. <laughs> um, the uh, the thought lion was also I, I, I didn't mention this at all in the opening, but I actually got to see this show because it, it aired with the Jim Henson hour, which was actually two years after um, it had already aired uh, the whole the whole show. Both seasons had aired in in England on the, on the baby boy slay. And, um, and here we just didn't get it. We hadn't seen it. So when the Jim Henson hour happened in 1980, did I just say nine? Was it nine? Uh, it's eight, eight, nine. Yeah. Eight, 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 nine. Yeah. We only got like four episodes uh, because the show only ran for one season and every, I think two or three weeks, they would play one of the, the storyteller episodes yeah. basically yep. at the end. Um, so, or the second half of it, I guess. So we only got, um, four episodes total, but yeah, it's, uh, every episode of that show was introduced by Jim Henson with the thought lion right there. And the thought lion never got to speak in those segments. He speaks in, in the true bride, Mm -hmm. but, um, but yeah, it was kind of cool how they, uh, they resurrected him because he was just so freaking awesome. I guess it took, uh, three people to puppet that that lion too but uh very 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 it's, beautiful it's white lion puppet and yeah. uh very very cool i also uh i just want to say like the whole the whole thing where the troll is giving her you know you know it's 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 a parental figure and the girl was actually like strangely indebted to the troll like she yeah. she herself didn't really wish ill of the troll per se she's like but it's my only parent it's the only right. person in the world that takes care of me like yeah, even right. though it treats her like complete garbage, like she she viewed it as family, right? It's and, like um, Stockholm syndrome. Yeah, it's like Stockholm like, syndrome, quite, right? But yeah. yeah. And uh, so it's kind of it's kind of interesting. It reminds me so much of this one episode of Mystery Science Theater was the movie Jack Frost, and um, it's really funny. It's it's a a, a <laughs> Russian film, Russo Finnish production. Um, <laughs> Uh, it's it's a Russian film and it's based on a lot of various old Russian fairy tales. They sort of threw all together in a stew, mixed it up and pooped out Jack Frost. And uh, like Baba Yaga is in this and she's under a different name. And uh, and, and there's, there's various things that you kind of are familiar with and some that we aren't. But one of them is this idea of this evil stepmother who um, basically does exactly that. Like the same exact identical thing. The she sets nerd. impossible tasks 
for the girl who's not her daughter. She's a, she's a stepdaughter and she's just uh, like constantly furious that somehow she ends up doing it. She's like, here, not me, knit me these socks. Stay up all night knitting me these socks before morning. There's no good goddamn reason that she needs the socks that fucking fast. Like, give me a break. But she's just being a bitch. And she's like, well, I'm evil and I'm the evil stepmom. That's what I do. So like, give me these. And then when she does it, she's pissed. And then she's like, oh, well, now don't come back until you make this stump bloom flowers. And she's like, what? Like, keep watering the stump until it blooms flowers. Like, that's impossible. That's stupid. So the things the, the things are different, but it's the same sort of idea. Yeah. Um, kind of kind of interesting. I just just wanted to shout a little shout out to one of my Super cool. One of my mid tier favorite episodes of uh, Mystery Science. Jack Theater. Frost. Also, Dr. Medio loves that one, right? Um, yeah. Uh, is, she, that, she, is that one you guys have watched a few times? Yeah. She, yeah. She, she likes this one. Um, okay. Yeah. I don't know if it's like one of her favorites, but she, she does like it. It's a good one. But, um, it's a keeper. Yeah, it's it's one of my it's one of my faves. It's just it's not top tier, but it's it's like next tier, second to top tier. Anyway, right. anyway, <laughs> cool though, very cool. Uh, it's it's super neat to see how some of the the fables and stories that are you know pulled from with a storyteller are in other things, and and there's definitely some episodes that seem to like borrow or meld together like a couple of story concepts um, into, you know, one kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, definitely there's a lot of inspiration that is found uh, in other pieces of media too. So that's super cool. But yeah, so Parasite, why don't you, uh, why don't you bring us to your, your uh, episode choice, which is also easily one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have chosen uh, the soldier and death. This is, Always the episode that stuck with me the longest from when I was a kid. Really, really, really loved this episode. Um, it also uh, stars a guy named Bob Peck, who um, if you're watching this and you think he looks familiar, it's probably because he was Muldoon in the original Jurassic Park. You know, the guy who says, clever girl, and then gets killed oh. by a Velociraptor. <laughs> Just saying. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so Bob Peck, um, a couple of a couple of the episodes feature actors that you, you'll recognize for sure. But um, anyway, so the Soldier in Death, basically, uh, this is this is one of those ones that really is told in a very lyrical way, uh, and like you know, I, lyrical I think is 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 a good way to put it because there are themes that come around, like you were mentioning eight bit, you know, like you'll they'll establish almost a almost a tune. And then like that tune comes back almost like it's a stanza or a chorus where they'll say the same phraseology, like the same things kind of just come back around. And Mm -hmm. also it's situations will repeat and have slightly different results. Just like in the true bride Nintendo, you just said like the, the troll went through all these things with the, with the girl and they were impossible tasks. We saw like three of those. Then later she did three other very similar things with, the second troll, the trollop, and you know, it was trying to accomplish a different thing. It was she had to try to wake the lover, but like it was it was always three. It was three and three. It's like it's very musical. The way everything yep. is always kind of s- just presented with fairy tales. And this is is similar. So you have this uh this soldier who um you know I I, I will I'm not gonna give every single beat away, but I'll start I'll set it up. And um, and I really want you guys to see this if you're interested. I, I, I really recommend you seeing seeing the show. But this episode is it's funny. It, it feels longer to me 
not because it's slow, but because it, it accomplishes a lot in, in the same 24 minutes. And um, it, it just, to me is a standout. And I, even this last time watching it again, I was like, no, that, that does feel longer. Like, is it longer? And I went and looked and it's like, no, 24 minutes, just like, all. <laughs> but he, he actually has like quite a journey, like over the course of those. It's, 24 it minutes. is really yeah. such a layered journey. There's yeah. so many aspects to yeah. it where you're like, oh, I guess that could be the whole right. story. Or that can be the whole story. And essentially it's the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Like pretty much that's, that's the story. And yeah. basically you have this guy who starts out, he's just the soldier. That's how we know him. And he's uh, he's a good hearted man who has nothing. Uh, all he has to his name are three biscuits. And so he, he, again, we have this repetition of three. So he stops along the road. There's a guy and he's whistling and the guy's got a beautiful whistle and the soldier has a shitty whistle. And, and so he sort of, I was going to say, that's his only other possession. Is a yeah. Shit it's a whistle. shitty whistle. <laughs> and you know, Wash that thing out. Um, and so he comes to this, this dude in the road and the guy's like, look, I, I you know, do you have anything? Uh, you know, he's like, Oh, I really enjoyed your whistle. It's beautiful. He's like, Oh, is it worth a farthing? And the soldier says it's worth far more than that, but I don't have anything, but I can give you a biscuit, which is of course a cookie. Um, and so he gives him a, a cookie and the guy goes, you know, thank you so much. You're, you're clearly, uh, I, I believe this is like all you could give. Uh, let me repay you again. And um, I'm going to give you my whistle. So now from then on, the, the soldier can now has this beautiful whistle and talking about the poetic lyrical quality of, of the way that these stories are told. Uh, one of the things that always, always, always stuck with me is the way that they describe the whistle. Now we can hear it. So we don't really need it described like this, but imagine if it, there was no audiovisual component and we're just reading this. Um, they describe it as imagine if a ruby could whistle. And I always felt like who the fuck <laughs> would think of that? That is so goddamn fucking beautiful. I love that so much. And as a writer, I'm like, I never would have come to that. That is, a, that is just a masterful way to describe something because it's impossible, but yet it 100% works. We yep. 100% understand that it's, it's so incredibly beautiful that like it's impossible. So like they're well, imagine if a ruby could whistle. Um, and so he's, so now he's got his ruby whistle and they, they, they will make, other mention of that and i just i always loved that i love that uh that phraseology it's just uh, the, the ruby whistle but uh anyway so then he he goes he meets another guy on the road and then another guy on the road and so he the, the final guy um gives him his best prize which he keeps for the entire story until the end which is this magic sack <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. uh and he says, you know, it's also funny if you're just here, if you, if the word sack is funny to you, then it's, it's there's another layer. They, to the story. they say sack many a time. A lot of time. Yeah, a lot of times. <laughs> uh, so basically the deal is he's like, he's like, okay, so this is the magic sack. So anything that you see, you can order into the sack and it will have to go in the sack no matter what. So the, so the soldier's like, oh, thanks, man. That's this is peachy keen. I love this. Like, it's fucking great. So he goes and he's like, oh, well, what's the first thing I can do? Well, guess what? He's hungry. All he's had to his name are these these three cookies and he freaking gave them all away. So um, so he's starving. And so he sees some geese and he's, he goes to the geese and he goes, hey, geese, get in my sack. And the geese just <laughs> promptly march into his sack and he 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 takes three. 
and he goes to a, a tavern nearby and and uh, he says to the the barkeep he says hey uh, I have three geese in this sack um, if you cook one for me and give me a night um, you can keep the other two which is I think a pretty damn good deal right because yeah. hey, hey this guy mm-hmm. literally has nothing he has no money he is just making his way through the freaking landscape and using whatever he gets at that point to get his next thing and it's just awesome so the guys so the bar keeps like sure this is great you know whatever so anyway it, it keeps going and going going there there's a whole scene with like he plays cards with with all these little devils and uh it, it it's there's a lot of fun creature stuff in this and it's but it's but it's more so about the story i feel like it's less about the creatures than some of them yes um yeah but yep. it there there's some cool stuff for sure i mean the devils are just awesome and there's so many of them you, re, you definitely get shades of labyrinth with all the goblins i mean there's like so many of these little devil things and um and they they deal with heaven and they deal with hell and there is no devil but there are devils and they're these yep. like you know small devil type you know what you think of as a devil like red winged hooved horned little things but anyway so and then, and then later on, it turns into yet another thing where it's like, okay, well, it's like, what can you do with this magic sack? What are the things you could do? Like, there what are, are the so limits many, of how far you could push right, this? There are so yeah. many different interesting things that he uses it for, starting with the geese. It's like, okay, that's really practical. That's a really good thing. Because at first you're like, what the hell am I going to use this for? Right. It's like a magic sack. You can tell stuff to get in it. Tell stuff to get in. Like, (laughs) what does that mean? And then it's like instantly he does the geese and you're like, oh, shit. Hunting is no longer a problem. Yeah. Yeah. No longer a problem. Okay, so food. Now I have food. Awesome. And then it's like, well, what if he used it against his enemies? And they were trapped in the sack. Okay, then deal with that. Then it's like, well, what else could you do with this concept? And it really is amazing what they end up doing with it. And I don't want to exp- uh, give it away, but there is a very specific reason why the story is called The Soldier and Death. And um, I, I really I really will say that um, the big thing he ends up using the sack for is something I, again, I I'd never saw before. I never would have thought of. I think it's brilliant. Um, and I I just love this episode. And it it just, you know, it goes through this whole life of the soldier and it ends um, not great. It doesn't actually. Yeah. Have a good yeah ending. It's, it ends it's, really right. poorly for the soldier. Yeah. It's, it's a downer of an ending, which I think is, is great too, because so many of these old, these old fairy tales and, and stuff that they, they were like that, these folk tales where they, they didn't always have happy endings. Um, and I mean, the thing he, is, it wasn't like a just dessert situation. Like no. the soldier, by was a good like guy. what was a very good altruistic guy who you know right. had these kind of you know humanitarian ways about him like he was always trying to help yeah. other people and never was selfish or, or greedy right and yeah it's like no man he just totally got screwed. a lot of stages to his life he had a lot of different you know things he became over the years and the funny thing is you know i said it was the road to hell is paved with good intentions so he he does end up um basically becoming a sinner but it's it's all it's not in the traditional way he doesn't it's not like absolute power corrupted absolutely that's not what happens Mm -hmm. he doesn't become a bad guy but he does some things that make it impossible for him to be welcomed into heaven right right 
Yep, definitely like a gray area is 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 pretty right. strong because you're like, ooh, how do you how would you align this guy? Like, ugh. right. And it almost doesn't matter, you know, how many people he was able to help over the course of the time that we knew him, which was, you know, I would say the second half of his life. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. it, it didn't really matter because at the end of the day, you know, it still wasn't he wasn't he was a sinner. He wasn't able to get into heaven. So. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, it's, it's also about, you know, you, you sleep in the bed you make, you know, that's really another theme for it. And, um, and, uh, yeah, anyway, uh, I don't want to give more away. I think it's an amazing episode. It always stuck with me and, uh, yeah, the soldier in death. Absolutely agree with that. The soldier in death really stuck with me. Um, and you know, there was, there was, a like a thumbnail on Amazon prime from this episode. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, Oh man, I think that's from the soldier in death. And like, it conjured this memory that like, I didn't even knew I know I had, but then I, I saw it and I'm like, Oh man, that's totally from that one. And then when it came time for that episode, I was, I was right. And I mean, yeah, I, I haven't seen or thought about the storyteller in probably a decade, you know? Um, but definitely such a strong story, you know, a lot to it. Um, can't, can't understate how good that one is. Um, so so cool. So I will uh, I will round things out here. Uh, so the episode that I want to talk about, which also actually was was almost going to be Nintendo's episode, but I had to steal it from him because <laughs> yeah. a I'm a jerk and b I'm the host. So so raspberry noise uh, uh, and um, fart noise and fart noise. Uh, yeah. So this episode is called the Heartless Giant. And uh, it was, it was, you know, at, at the beginning of each episode, it'll say like from an early Russian folktale, from an early Celtic folktale. So, so uh, this one happened to be from an early Germanic folktale. And uh, basically, the 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 gist of this this story is that there is this uh, notorious heartless giant uh, who had terrorized the land and gone all around, you know, destroying people's property, killing things, just going all crazy. Uh, and so he was imprisoned in the castle keep of, you know, the, this king in this kingdom. And he was just kept in the dungeon forever. Uh, and so uh, the, the prince of this kingdom, Prince Leo, um, actually makes his way out there and, and had heard stories. And it's like, is it true? Is there really a heartless giant that lives down in the in the dungeon? And uh, so he ends up, he ends up finding out and, and meeting and talking to this giant and turns out, yeah, there is there, there totally is a heartless giant down here. And, uh, and, you know, the giant is, is very coy. You know, he, he's like, Oh, you know, uh, you know, this is where I belong. This is my, this is my punishment for everything I did and blah, blah, blah. And it kind of, kind of seems like he's very remorse. And Leo is is just like, oh, you know, you, you don't sound like a horrible, you know, horrible being or whatever. You know, you're just going to be, you know, here forever. And uh, and so Leo ends up going and and stealing the key for the prison uh, from his dad, from the king, and sets the giant free. He's like, oh, he seems like a nice guy. You know, nothing bad could happen. And uh, you know, the heartless giant, being heartless and all, uh, totally played Leo like a fool. <laughs> and uh, and so the heartless giant busts out of there and just goes immediately like point one second back to his old way of just like wrecking shit and killing stuff and just going ape shit across the countryside. And you know, well, Leo's only it's mortified. worse than ape shit because he goes giant shit. Right, he goes giant shit, which is huge. <laughs> right. And Leo feels like absolute trash. You know, he's like, oh my god. And everybody in the kingdom is like, who could have possibly let such a being out? What a, what a, you know, a foolish, heart, 
heartless, idiotic, you know, person would do such a thing. You know, just all these horrible insults being slung. And Leo's like, Ugh. <laughs> yeah, life. yeah. Uh, so, so he's definitely feeling it. Oh. And, uh, and so over the, you know, the, the next, next few years or whatever, uh, one by one, people are trying to go and hunt down the, the giant. They're, they're all going and going on these big, long journeys and never returning. Including and the actually, two brothers. Like, yeah. yeah, the yeah, brothers, Leo's, yeah. Leo's brothers yeah. are, are among them. And so, you know, his brothers go, they don't come back. And Leo's like, well, I mean, my God, like, this is entirely my doing. Like, I, I can't not throw my hat into this. Like, I got to try. And uh, and so he's like, all right, I'm, I'm going to just set out and try and find this giant. And so this story, much like the soldier in death, has kind of like this, this trio of events that happen. And they're also like something it's like a preliminary adventure that happens before like you know the the main thing that happens which i think is just really interesting you know it's neat how these stories are built this way like they really fit so much into 20 minutes um and so leo is is you know just traveling across the countryside with his horse and along the way he finds a bird that was like trampled and barely clinging onto life and you know leo takes some time and uses some some of his supplies and and heals the bird's wing and the bird's like oh thank you so much i'll, I'll never forget you tweedledee and then just you know <laughs> flies away and uh and so then he's he's going along a river and he finds a they he like it's just a fish. Like they mentioned swimming with the salmon, but it's, it's not a salmon. It's just like this big green fish. Um, and the fish is all washed up on the shore. And he said, Oh, you know, the, the giant trode through and, and dried up my puddle. You know, he splashed the puddle and just, you know, dried it up in one stump and the fish is, you know, all stuck outside. So Leo just tosses it in the water and helps it out. And the fish is, you know, it's like uh, in video games when it's like a, a certain character is going to remember something. It's like the fish will remember this, um, you know, so that that happens. And uh, and then the final piece uh, is that his horse dies. Leo's on the, out on the road and his horse just dies. And, you know, it's like, wow, <laughs> really not looking awesome for me. He's like, uh, fuck this, I'm done. Yeah, fuck <laughs> this, I'm done. Uh, and so then a, a starving wolf comes up and is looking at him. And, and Leo is like so incredibly nice. He's so absolutely genuine that he looks at this this wild horse or this wild wolf and just says, uh, you're welcome to eat my horse. And if you're still hungry, you can eat me. Like full on. Like, not just trying to be sarcastic. helpful. Just yeah, he had no he had no plan. It wasn't like a trap. He was just trying to be helpful. Uh, so he feeds the starving wolf. The wolf is very grateful and agrees to to help take Leah where he needs to go. Uh, and so you know he he goes on this journey. He he ends up coming to the giant's dwelling. Uh, outside of the house, there's all these stone statues, and he recognizes that some of them are his brothers, and like all the people who've been going to find the giant have been turned to stone. Um, and so it's, it's this whole thing where, you know, he tries to kind of like sweeten up to the giant enough that like, he'll keep him around and, and Leo's like talking to him and, and asking him about like, why is he heartless? Why doesn't he have a heart? Where is it? What's the deal? And, uh, and this, this is also one of those like lyrical sing-songy kind of ways is that he finds out a couple of red herrings, but ultimately finds out where his, where the giant's actually is the giant is just too proud like he's too prideful that he starts to boast and then he boasts about how well hidden his heart is that he, he gives it away but he's like you know it's it's far 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 away from here on a mountain in a lake on an island in a church in a well in a duck 
in an egg. And it's like this whole very specific thing. And like that phrasing is used a lot of time. And uh, there's, there's this one phrase the storyteller says that I love. And I, I couldn't quite remember it exactly. But he's like, you know, Leo, Leo set out over, over cliff and cave, crevice and chasm. Like it, it's like he has these like four or six C words that describe the terrain. And it's like the perfect timing and everything. And it's just, it's great. I love that level to the storytelling in this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he ends up going there and, and he has to, he has to basically find the heart. And so, you know, uh, there's, there's a lot that ends up happening. You know, some of the characters from the beginning, you know, like the bird and the fish uh, come back to help him out. Um, there's, you know, this, this whole adventure where he has to, he has to retrieve the heart and, and bring it back. But Leo's whole intention is not to kill the giant. His intention is to restore his heart, to try and make him care again, you know, to make the giant, feel like a like a person who has thoughts and feelings and and isn't just all you know reckless and and destructive uh and so you know like throughout the whole thing that that's kind of his his deal but you know things end up going differently and and whatnot but um it's it's definitely an episode that i think it, it does it tells a really interesting story and it has a character that is truly innocent and and means well and um you know, it, it, it subverts expectations, I guess, you know, and, mm. and I think uh, the, the giant's makeup is incredible. And I, I also, yes. I, I think that the giant and also the trolls um, from your episode, Joe, are really, really effective because they have human eyes. Mm. Um, and, and so they were able to build like these just absolutely huge, costumes all around the actors but maintain the actors eyes so you have that very human element that very like human connection with like the expressiveness with the eyes and everything but everything else is so you know extreme you know so fantastically misproportioned that you know it's like your brain just is trying to wrap your head around it like it's so convincing but you know, it's just a big costume. And I think, I think that was so effective. Yeah. You know, the giant looked incredible and there were some really awesome shots where they had Leo speaking to the giant and, you know, they were both, you know, just the, the size difference that they were able to do. I'm sure with like a, like some kind of green screen filming the giant looking down and then superimposing Leo on top of it. But it just all looks awesome. Like it at no point. Totally looks real. Yeah. It looks totally real. It's so incredibly great. It's easy to forget that the, giant is just a man in a costume that's about the same size as leo right mm-hmm. it's so yep, easy in real life that. yep yep because yeah. they just managed to to do this perspective so convincingly yeah and i just love that you know and um and so i i learned that uh this story apparently is a variation upon the norwegian tale which is called the giant who had no heart in his body uh, and then there's also some parallels with a Slavic legend uh, called Koshal the Deathless, um, or Koshay the Deathless, E-I. Um, so kind of interesting, you know, like some, a little bit of here and there, you know, not just taken from one source material, but um, definitely uh, influenced by them. And, uh, and yeah, so there's, uh, you know, plenty of different uh, references that are made to this kind of story. But one thing I wanted to, to mention is like Parasite Steve was saying about MST3K, um, how, how that episode really echoed, um, you know, his sentiment with 
with the true bride um this this episode as i was watching it i was like man i've i've heard a story so similar to this or i've experienced a story so similar to this and i'm like this is so close i can't imagine it wasn't it wasn't intentional in some kind of way to borrow from the same source material okay so so this this is is quite a departure so uh, this episode was used as inspiration uh, for Chapter Three in the Nintendo sixty four game Paper Mario. Uh, <laughs> wow. Paper Paper Mario is a game that came out in August of two thousand, and it was like the Mario franchise trying to make a role playing game, um, you know, in succession to what they did on the Super Nintendo, but also just going in its own direction. And it had this like paper storybook kind of quality to it um and it was just this new art style whatever but it was a game that i really loved a lot um growing up when when i had played it and uh and so in chapter three mario actually goes to this area that's called the the gusty gulch and it's just this like deserted kind of dusty town but it's being terrorized terrorized by an invincible giant uh and the invincible giant is called tubba blubba um, obviously not much similarity there. Uh, so, uh, so the invincible tub of blubba cannot be harmed by anything. Uh, like you actually fight him at one point and it doesn't do any damage. Like you can't hurt him. You can't do anything to him and you have to just run away, but he lives way up in this castle on a hill and you eventually have to break into his castle and, and you go into his room and you find a key there and you take the key back out of the castle and you go to the base of the um like the hill that the castle's on and there's a there's a locked windmill and inside the windmill is a well and so you know i i said it kind of fast but in the in the heartless giant the heart was contained on a mountain in a lake on an island in a church in a well in a duck in an egg whereas this green is grass just grows all around right whereas this is just like you know on a hill in a not a, it's a windmill not a church but it's also in a well uh and so you jump down the well and you go down this big passageway and you discover that inside the secret chamber is tubba blubba's heart and he has specifically like removed his heart and sealed it away in a place that nobody could ever find it so that he can just remain invincible forever. And the only way that you can, you know, beat the boss is you have to actually fight the heart separately. Then you weaken it. It runs away. And then it jumps back into Tubba Blubba's body because it's afraid that it's going to die. And that then mortalizes him and allows you to defeat the boss. And I was like, I can't believe that this story from this N64 game uh, has parallels with this folk, t- you know, this folktale, and and that it was an episode of of the storyteller. Like that just blew my mind. Yeah. I was like, that's so fun, you know, <laughs> like it's super super cool yeah. because it was a concept that I I definitely thought was very unique. The, the yeah. thought that like you could just take your heart out of your body, it's not a big deal. Why don't more people do it? Like you know, that's one of those <laughs> fantasy folklore things yeah. that, that you were saying, Steve. How like yeah. you just take it, you just accept it. You know, face you're not value. you're not sitting yeah. there writing down like, oh, you know, this, this wouldn't work and blah, blah, blah. You're like, right. No, whatever. Face value. Yeah. Um, and so I remembered that dynamic and I just immediately I thought of Paper Mario and I'm like, holy cow, that's so funny. You know, I, I couldn't find any like solid interview or anything referencing it. Um, and uh, the the the, cha- the chamber that actually that the heart is actually sitting in, there's this weird pedestal that the heart's sitting on. And it's like this. It's like very 
pointed around the edges and like you could definitely stretch maybe and say like it looks like the broken bottom of an eggshell like it's not it's not one for one but it's very like deliberately designed and i'm like yeah that could be an eggshell it could totally be the bottom of an eggshell if you if you if you use your imagination so i thought that was super fun um i i definitely was happy to to talk about that one but yeah i mean i I definitely thought pretty much every episode of the show was great. I mean, so we, we covered three here. There's six more. And then the four from the Greek mythology one, you know, the, yeah. And the, like the, we said, the three that we picked just so happened to be three of the four that they actually chose to run in the Jim Henson hour. The only oh, one, wow. the fourth one actually was, um, uh, sap sorrow. Oh, okay. Was huh. the fourth one. But they, nice. they actually, in America, they aired Heartless Giant, Soldier in Death, True Bride, and Sap Sorrow. Um, but in the actual British uh, series, the, the last episode is, I believe, the Heartless Giant. I think it ends with that. Wow. That's so nice. funny. Uh, and I, I had actually, um, I can't find the quote now, but I read that Jim Henson uh loved the heartless giant he loved how it came out and he actually said that it was his second favorite thing that he had ever produced or created uh right after another segment that was in the jim henson hour which was a faux film noir movie called dog city and it was uh narrated by rolf the dog so i never i actually have a little on this oh nice okay cool um, this was, uh, there were some notes I had taken down for our main episode and I just never, never got to it. Um, uh, let me just find where, it, uh, where I have that. Sure. Yeah. Um, um and I, I would love to see this. I, I saw some screenshots of it and it just looks like, you know, all dog puppets and, and I'm sure it's pretty funny having Rolf as the, uh, as the narrator. So, <clears throat> so there were three episodes of the Jim Henson hour, I think it only had a total of like 12 or 13 episodes or something. Um, but there were three episodes of the Jim Henson hour that were hour long movies. Okay. So he just, they sort of, that was what was fun. It was basically Jim Henson's crow's nest. Yeah, really? It was, it was really <laughs> like whatever he wanted to do that didn't fit into a category. Like we use the crow's nest for various things. Sometimes it is just as a, uh, you know, a supplemental thing like we're doing now. And we've done that with Ghostbusters. We've done that with Ronnie James Dio. And then other times, you know, 8-Bit and I have like used it to talk about old Nintendo games that we were playing through. And we just kind of wanted to vent on that. And I did an episode, uh, you know, after I went through Symphony of the Night and uh, beat that for the first time in 20 years. Um, So it's just kind of like our whatever the fuck. It doesn't, it's Mm -hmm. uncategorized, whatever we want to do with it. And that's what's fun about it. This is definitely his version of that, the Jim Henson hour. And there were three episodes that were hour long mini movies. Uh, one was the faux film noir film Dog City, narrated by Rolf the Dog. Um, then there's Monster Maker, which is about an alienated teenager uh, that begins to secretly work at a special effects company. And finally, there was uh, Living with Dinosaurs, um, which had to do with like, these dinosaur toys that came to life for a boy or something. And uh, it was like a troubled family. He came from like a troubled family. So I think it was actually like kind of a hard hitting episode, but they had like the dinosaurs were there to sort of soften the blow and to make it more palatable. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it was like 
kind of serious like issues they were dealing with with that one. Um, oh, it's so there were only 13 episodes. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, kind of just random. So funny. Nice. I've never seen would, any of those. To my I mind. know. I, I would if love I have, to I see blocked those. Them. I don't remember them at all. <laughs> it would be great <laughs> if they did like a three for, you know, release all three of them on one kind of collection or, or something like that. Yeah. Or just to do all of the Jim Henson hour. Yeah, I think they should know. just do the Jim Henson hour. That'd be Absolutely. So yeah, super fun. And then uh, I I had mentioned it in the uh, the mainline episode, but just for you know further reiteration, uh, there are plans to reboot the storyteller. Um, as of February nineteenth, twenty nineteen, it was announced that a reboot series was being developed by Neil Gaiman, and uh, it was going to be produced by the Jim Henson Company uh, as well as Fremantle. Um, and it's also worth noting that uh, Neil Gaiman's movie Mirror Mask actually was produced by the Jim Henson Company. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, it's, I, I cool. like Mirror Mask. So, so there's definitely some, uh, you know, some some history there and everything. So that would be amaze balls. Um, absolutely, would absolutely love that. Uh, you know, I I know that there's a lot of things that have been getting modern, you know, kind of re reincarnations like you know Twilight Zone and. Uh, you know, other things like that. So if the storyteller made a comeback, I'd be all about it. I I really think it's one of the best of these type of shows um, ever. And yeah, I mean, the, the stuff that Jim Henson's shop could do was incredible. I mean, I think the little devils in The Soldier and Death are just insane. They they, yeah, they have so much expression for such a small puppet. Yeah, there's, and there's like so a, many of them, and they're so yeah. just lifelike and creepy. And just, yeah, there's like yeah. that hero devil that gets to talk more, and yeah. some of the uh, positions they were able to get his mouth into. I know. It looked like, like the, he's the, an the, yeah, yeah, like he's, he's got like this upper words. lip pronunciations and you know all this kind of articulation. It's like holy, and you could tell it was a small puppet. It wasn't a forced perspective thing. It was clearly no. the size of like you know the head looked to be a, a, a like a softball maybe maybe even a little smaller. Yep, and yeah. um and somehow they were able to get like all these, I don't know just motor motorized things in there. And it's like the, the positions that, that the face was able to make insane. And even just yeah. the, the mouth was able to make like, yeah. Yeah. Really I was going to say like throughout the, the series, I was really impressed with the mouth movement. That cannot be an easy thing to accomplish. Right. Right. Back, back right. Right. Exactly. You it's know, not it's, just, it's not just the mouth going up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. It's like, no, it's like, you have that illusion that they're actually speaking. It's like yeah. the, the mouth movement is just yeah. Where they could, quite, I yeah, mean, where it's, they it's could like it. It, it's it's not not perfect, but right. I mean, the the, the amount of detail that they went into that just just for a short story, mm-hmm. for this one thing, right, right. And a lot of times, yep. like yeah, you would you would see this um like there's a there's an episode called Fear Not, and there's a there's like this aquatic um monster that's in that in just one scene and i love this monster uh very very briefly seen but really very interesting looking very amphibious looking uh frog type not frog but like i don't know it's just it's just a monster kind of it's really cool looking yeah Um, and yeah like it's amazing all all the uh, work that must have gone into this thing and it's got like a a minute and a half of screen time or something i mean like Mm -hmm. Literally, it's just ridiculous. Like, my God, this is insane. At least the devils were in Soldier and Death, you know, in a few parts. 
But um, yeah, yeah so, some of them were really just barely, barely in it. Uh, definitely impressive. And that's, that's sort of like, you know, the artistry of the Jim Henson company is kind of just like one of my favorite things about it all. Um, and, you know, that's it's sort of like, you know, to, to sort of defend the other side of things. You know, I love practical effects. I love old movies. Um, and I'm always, you know, I'm always happy to see practical effects in new things. And I, and I believe that Neil Gaiman has said that they were going to go all full practical uh, because, you know, it's Jim Henson. Why are you going to hire Jim Henson to do CG or something? You know, it doesn't make sense. Um, right. So, OK, cool. Awesome. I love that. I love I love the, the handmade tactile, you know, stuff. Uh, it's really there. But I have to say uh, on the flip side of that, I, I, I've always it's always bothered me when people complain about CGI because they can tell it's CGI and all this uncanny valley, you know, that that's become like such a, a buzzword to say, basically, you're like, Oh, right. it's, it's like, can, like, complain. Oh, Oh, you know, Luke yeah. wasn't a hundred percent perfect. I could tell he was CGI. I mean, I don't think people are complaining too much about that, but there are the, there are, there are the people it's like, yeah, yeah but any, any practical effect, I can tell it's not real. Like, like you said, Joe, like, you know, sometimes the mouth movements weren't perfect. You can tell it's a puppet. You can tell it's a, it's not a real mouth, but it's like, it's well done though. Like I can still yeah, tell right. it's not real, but it's so right. well done. And I, I just, I don't know. I just think that sometimes people are just too dismissive of things. And even CG that I can tell is CG, not, to, not to say that there isn't trash CGI. There is, but I think, you know, the Scorpion King did not age well. It didn't start good. But like, right. you know, I mean, uh, the, the Scorpion King and Mummy Returns, to be clear. Um, but like, uh, I mean, there are there are examples of, uh, I think, CGI like, OK, like the Peter Cushing Grand Moff Tarkin that shows up in Rogue One. That's very, mm -hmm. very d divisive. You know, people hate it. Yep. People like it, whatever. Um, as a as a big Peter Cushing fan, I loved that they tried and that they that they did that and they tried to get Peter into the movie. And I really think that they did a good job. Was it perfect? Was I fooled? No. Right. It was no, a like special said, effect. Being like he's in this movie. It was a special right. effect. I could tell it was a special effect, but it's almost as if practical effects gets this weird pass, and you're like, oh no. I, I know it's a puppet, but that's okay. But if I know it's CG, it's it sucks. Mm -hmm. It's it's either I have to not be able to right tell because CG is trying to terrible. trick you into thinking it's reality right. in in their mind. It's like oh well, CG's yeah. ultimate success is by convincing me that it's real. Yeah, I have as to a believe puppet, it's, it's like real. I know I know that it's a physical thing, so right. it's not needing to try to do that. Yeah, it's, it is a weird. It's just kind of weird. And I mean, you know, there there are levels of it for sure. And I mean, I I think that. You know, even movies that just recently came out really comparable are Thanos in Infinity War and Endgame compared to Steppenwolf in that Ju Justice League movie. Mm -hmm. uh, and obviously we're going to get a new Steppenwolf and the new 14 hour long Snyder cut. Who gives a fuck? <laughs> but like, you know, it's like um, even the redo of Steppenwolf still looks bad to me. So like I'm not saying I'm not guilty of it, too, but. I just think that there's a lot of artistry that goes into a lot of things like that. You know, like you're discounting, you're, you're saying it's garbage. Like a lot of fucking blood, sweat and tears went into the CGI too, probably yeah. by way more people technically, you know, mm -hmm. and, um, 
it's just it's just i don't know and end rant i will end it there <laughs> so Fox, i love you know, i love practical in. i love practical i love practical but I'm yeah just saying art is right, art for sure and, and a lot of hard work goes into shit so absolutely and i think one of the things like you were saying uh, jim henson was such an innovator with uh, the puppet technology and everything like that was definitely a very early uh, mission statement was to to perfect that talking thing like you were saying uh, mm-hmm. nintendo where mm-hmm. you know so much of puppetry was just rapid om nom 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 you know just rapidly opening and closing when talking was happening yeah. and so that was definitely part of their their focus for so many things was to try and have that more lifelike talking coming out of a felt creature or whatever and and you know not just having it be a sock puppet kind of thing right uh and yeah i mean the the devils in 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 the soldier and death were were epitome of of that technology like man it was it was crazy yeah um but yeah you know so the storyteller is absolutely worth your time it's worth your money uh if you can get a hold of it definitely check it out and i know that there are uh, a few entries in the storyteller uh, graphic novel series as well um which i would really like to check out i don't think it's very long lived uh you know much like the show unfortunately uh but they're out there um, and I would definitely like to see them uh, or read them rather. There's also a novelization um, that is is put out there by Anthony Minghella, who's the guy who you know wrote and developed a lot of the storyteller show alongside uh, Jim Henson. Um, and so he did the novelization, and then there's there's a variety of of different graphic novels out there too. So I, I know they're available on ebook, so that's certainly an easier way to get a hold of them. Uh, yeah. Yeah, guys, you know, yeah. um, if there's if there's anything else anyone wants to kind of throw in there before we, we wrap it up. But um, this was definitely a, a fulfilling jump into the storyteller. And I hope you guys have learned something and, and are now interested to watch this very underrated uh, gem of, of Jim's career. And, uh, and and hopefully we'll become a fan. Look forward to the, the reboot coming out. Soon. Absolutely. Yeah. Hopefully so, it'll last longer than a season. I know, right? I mean, that, that, that was my biggest thing because I was actually going to bring up, you know, oh, I hope they, they bring it back to some capacity. And now now that you mentioned that, you know, back in 2019, they had talked about it, you know, that they're going to do it. Right. I mean, that was still a while ago, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so but, I mean, I, I'd love to see it. I, I would love to see, you know, what direction they take the show in. Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, unfortunately, did not get to to really spread its wings fully. That's, uh, being, why, I, that's why I'm so fearful of being you know, quite new show. Exactly. It's such a similar it's such a similar undertaking. Uh, so I'm I'm hoping that it does well. Yeah, because Age of Resi- uh, Age of Resistance was very expensive. Uh, yeah, it was very expensive for them each to make episode that. was like an hour long. And then it was right. like how, how many episodes? Like ten episodes. It was ten. Like yep, ten episodes. It's like ten and hours so, right there. Yeah, you know, was it, it was really just an, it was, was it clearly really an hour show. It wasn't half hour. Yeah, it was, no, it was forty-six to sixty minutes per episode. Wow. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I know it, it seems like the odds are stacked against them. You know, with someone like Neil Gaiman on the team, hopefully that's going to help out a lot with uh, with making the budget a little bit more easy to work with. And who knows? It, it might be one. It might be like a Netflix exclusive. Maybe they'll do a broader distribution since the Dark Crystal had some troubles. We'll see. Uh, but needless to say, we do have the original, and it is worth your time. Absolutely. Uh, so uh, awesome. Awesome, guys. Thank you so much for jumping on and talking about Storyteller with a... No problem. 
Thank you and, so much for uh, having us. Oh, we yeah. love the show. Anytime. You Thank know, you. Big, <laughs> big time for, fans, first time caller, long time listener. Thank you for telling it to you. Ah. <laughs> uh, so thankful for telling it to you. All right, everybody. I have been your host, 8-Bit Alchemy. Uh, This has been an episode of The Crow's Nest, and we will catch you all next time.